Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning, and I hope you are ready for the word as I am. If you've got your Bibles with you, be ready to flip it, scroll it, whatever. Now, as we study the Bible more this season, and I know most of you are, and I've heard from quite a number of you already, how enjoyable it's been, how fun it's been in your life group, Bible study, as we pray together um, even more uh, this coming season, as we do life together uh, in our life groups, as we continue pursuing God and seeking first His kingdom. I want to start off with this question is, what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of me? Now, we're going to take a look this morning as at this important passage that gives us a good picture of who God is and who He has called us to be. All right, and it's in Deuteronomy 10, starting from verse 12. Now, it's clear these words... Now, it's clear these words, as you can see from the first few words in verse 12, that they were directed to Israel. What had happened just before, what Moses is telling Israel here, is that God had given them the second set of the tablets for the ten words, or we call it ten commandments. Right? Back in chapter 9, the first set of the tablets were broken. And so here, Moses had just come down from the mountain, gotten a new set, the second set, put them in the ark, and now he's relating to them these words from which I believe we can draw out some lessons for us, for our lives today. So we're going to read it right here, and then we'll jump right into it. Verse 12, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear he is your praise he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven Lord God uh, Father Almighty, we give thanks that this morning we are gathered to uh, lean in and listen to you together, listen to your word uh, more and beyond uh, what is audible, uh, beyond what uh, is verbally said. Holy Spirit, we ask that every heart uh, be spoken to directly from you, that you would minister the word of God to us and draw from within our hearts a faith uh, response to you 
uh, so that uh, uh, it leads us to not just hear, but do the word. And we pray this morning for each other, wherever we are in different homes and spaces, uh, that we would grow towards reverence for you and love for others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's go over this passage together. Okay, whenever we pray, we seek God, we uh, make petition and all that, we are asking of God, right? And so the word require in verse 12 is a word much like us asking God for things, right? When we ask of God, we expect of Him, right? But now, uh, the question is reverse, right? The, the question that's posed is the other way around. He asks of us, so we see what He ask of us, what he requires and expects from us. With full clarity, uh, you know, I see it very clearly what God requires of us, and in very certain terms and, and words, this is what God wants of us, what we've just read, both of Israel and of us. And like I said, there are lessons we can draw out of here today, specifically uh, for our lifestyle as disciples in our worship and in our witnessing. Right, many of us know a lot about God. Many of us, perhaps even like grew up hearing about God all our lives. Not all of us, of course, but many. Uh, we read a lot. We've got tons of information at our fingertips that we can access. We learn. Um, you know, many of you are very well educated. You know, we study a lot. We discuss, and in our life groups, we talk about God, and it's all good. At the end of the day, though. There is a distinction between all that we read and know and hear of God and what He wants of us in response to all that we know and hear of Him, right? There is that distinction. What we read and know of Him uh, compared to what our response is to what we read and, and know of Him. So let's look at verse 12 where it says there, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. To fear the Lord your God. We, you know, we often talk about this as being serious, being reverent towards God, and that's correct. Well, it also is more than that because, um, so the Hebrew word is Yareh. Yareh. And it intends to mean these things, right? To dread, to be terrified, to tremble, or be awestruck, right? Get that? Uh, uh, that's, that's not just being serious with God. Okay, that's a lot more, right? Uh, a lot weightier than that. And in the Old Testament, it, uh, in the King James Version at least, it's used about 314 times. Uh, maybe different translations vary a bit, but it's about there, 300-ish. The same Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament, and Psalms being the most frequent, but the second most frequently using this word is the book of Deuteronomy, where we are looking at. So just in this passage that we just read, verse 12 to 22, actually the word Yahweh is used four times, which tells you it's kind of like an emphasis or that's something that is at the back of the author's mind when he's writing this word came up four times. Um, so, for example, in the ESV version, it's rendered fear, fear, uh, fear the Lord in verse 12, and verse 20, fear the Lord. And then in verse 17, it is translated as awesome, 
right? Awesome God, verse 17. And then verse 21, when it says, He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things. The word terrifying there is also Yareh. In essence, to be someone that has a fear of God would result in a person who's very sober uh, uh, about how he lives his life and how she makes her decisions, uh, right? So this Yareh, this trembling before God, this... Uh, um, uh, awe and wonder before God, not not a fear that you know by which we become immobilized. It's not, but but it would cause a reframing of our lives. It should, and and all our choices, so that uh, instead of just what we want, we are increasingly concerned about what God wants. Right? That's Yahweh. And Scripture tells us actually, uh, and I think if if I'm not mistaken, firstly introduced in Deuteronomy four is this idea of God as consuming fire. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 24, we read, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Which I think is in some Bibles, they tell you that this is the verse that is quoted when you read Hebrews 12 verse 28. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, right? And in Zephaniah 1.18, it adds further dimension to God as this consuming fire. It says there, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So Moses reminds Israel that they're required to fear God and there is this image in the backdrop of God as a consuming fire, which is not unfamiliar to them because it has been mentioned more than once before, even before chapter 10. And so this, this, this consuming fire picture of God is often associated with him being a jealous God. He is not jealous of his people, he's jealous for his people, for the affections and the devotion of his people. He's a jealous God and, and he is a holy God. And as you see in Zephaniah, like he is the ultimate judge of all. And that is the kind of uh, why like we use that consuming fire to describe God, right? So to fear him and to walk in all of God's ways, it's, it's a picture, picture like, you know, switching on and keeping it switched on our sensibilities of what, uh, 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 what of who God is. And the fact that God is not to be trifled with, not to take him lightly, that to take him with the weight of his glory that he deserves, so that we become preoccupied with how he wants us to walk in his ways and to walk according to his direction. So, you know, whenever we worship or we hang out to fellowship, when we engage with scripture more deeply, we know more about him. It's really not lip service. It's not just, you know, doing our nice things. It's not just mere reading, but it's engaging with our, you know, whole being. It's this knowing that really ought to be an experiential knowing uh, because it is in the context of a trust relationship with God. Hear me on this. Like any relationship, our hearts and our conduct should line up. Our heart and our conduct should line up. So when you say you love and trust someone, right, it involves your whole being. It is not possible to say you love and trust and then not uh, have your conduct follow suit unless you didn't mean it. 
if you really love and trust someone in that context of a relationship, your heart and your conduct lines up and it involves your whole being. So like Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with all your heart, right? Because it's an issue of trust. And it's, it's as we trust and love, there is a commitment that goes beyond the feels, right? The emotions and all that. So there is a singleness of heart. Uh, picture there's not, not, there's no duality. There's no double-mindedness. There is a singleness of, of heart and action. And so we hear this expounded even by Jesus himself, uh, like in Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And so here then Moses goes on to say in verse 13, uh, and not just to fear the Lord, walk in His ways, etc. But in verse 13, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. To keep means to preserve, to watch closely, to guard, to hold fast to. And this can look uh, two ways, right? Abstaining from certain attitudes and actions or taking on certain attitudes and actions. What do I mean by that? So like to pursue holiness, you got to be set apart from the things that are not holy, right? So figure like 2 Timothy 2, right? Uh, in verse 20 to 22, where Paul exhorts Timothy, this young, uh, uh, passionate pastor, to flee the evil passions of her youth and to pursue righteousness uh, and love along with others out of a pure heart, right? And, and in Colossians chapter 3, it would uh, describe how we are to put off the old self and then put on the new self, right? Put on the new self, which involves putting on compassion, putting on kindness, but you put off what's old and you take on what's new. So we abstain from certain attitudes or actions or we take on certain attitudes or actions so that we become set apart and we become holier and holier in the image of God. The basis is that there is a strong desire to honor God. Uh, and, and, and so we are not just, it's not just being hesitant to sadden or displease Him. In fact, we will actively want to express our affection for Him. And that is the kind of you know, sober reverence uh, that this passage is, is giving. So foundational to this guys, is the notion, it's not that, that God is safe, not so much that, but that He is trustworthy and He is good. Even while He is to be feared, He is good. He is, he is good, like the good fear, right? Do we have other fears? Of course, more than likely. If not all, at least most of us have residing fears in our hearts. So it's not in the absence of other fears, but it is our fear of Him premised upon our trust and love that helps us to overcome, right? Both our unreal uh, fears or our even very valid concerns and fears. Sure. Now that ultimately God requires us to keep His ways with His motive, which is that it will all go well with us and our next generation. And this has not changed. God still asks this of us as His people today, not just of Israel of that day. And as you will see though, this text from Jeremiah 32, which I'm about to read to you, gives us this beautiful assurance, uh, actually, not just, not so much what God requires of us, but I want you to, to, to hear the tone 
uh, uh, in which it describes God here, of God's own commitment when we would choose to fear Him, walk in His ways, love Him, serve Him with all our heart and with all our soul. Jeremiah 32 says this, I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And hear this, I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. Wow. So as much as we think like, wow, like God requires me to love Him with all my heart and with my soul. But here Jeremiah is telling us, as we do that, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in faithfulness with all my heart. That's God talking. God, with all His heart and all His soul, He is saying, I will plant them in faithfulness in this land. And you, as God's people, God wants to rejoice in doing good towards you. And He wants to do it with all His heart and all His soul. I, I find that extremely uh, beautiful. Like, yes, God, wow, you're such a good God, right? We go on, verse 14 to 15. Uh, it says there, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet... There is a very important connective word there that like, however, or but, right? Yet, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. God, the maker of everything, the creator, the sustainer of all things in the universe. Yet, it says, so God's choosing of Israel that began with Abraham, with whom he made a covenant, and you can see this in Genesis 15. Uh, if you want to go back and check out some details or you're not familiar with the story, Genesis 15. God made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants will inherit the land. And God has since then continued this relationship. If you look more closely, you will see hints of this generational kind of, you know, uh, ongoing covenantal relationship like verse 15 that we just read it says you know your fathers and, and chose their offspring after them right there is that generational thing and then you also see your fathers repeated in verse 22 uh, at the end of the passage your fathers who went down to Egypt right and then it goes on to say now God has made you as numerous as in the descendants of those fathers as numerous as the stars of heaven God what is not so explicit in this text, but you can draw from this, is God is a God who keeps His covenant. God is faithful to His promise to us, to His people. As He has promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so He promises us to keep us today. And these things which God was instructing Israel in the keeping of it, it is so that it would go well with them. It would be good for them. And it's also a privilege and a God-given responsibility, starting with our own household, like starting with Abraham's household and then now all of God's people, starting with our own household to be both a privilege and a responsibility to bless all other peoples, right? And, you know, this just on, bring it down to a very household level. Uh, I, we, we, I have 
been learning so much in what it means to uh, uh, really take the responsibility and embrace this, this uh, grace of discipling our children. And it's such a joy, although it's a challenging thing. And I know for many of you parents, although I don't know all the stories, but I hear sometimes, you know, a couple of parents share, it's challenging whether they're young or when they're teenage or older, discipling our kids or starting with our own households, right? What it means to, to have that fear of God, to walk in His ways, to love Him at home is a huge challenge. But I want to encourage you that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful. And as we rely on His grace and, and standing on what He has promised to His people, He has graced you. And, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to help keep His commandments down to our generations, whether it's, you know, even to the youth that we're serving. It's not just our own biological kids, right? But we're talking about how, as God's people, we can communicate this very covenantal faithfulness of God through our lives because as we experience it, we uh, transmit it. And as we transmit it, actually, we experience more of it. That they may continue in knowing God in obeying God, in experiencing His faithfulness, right? So also we carry on diligently and, and we teach our children in their, in, at home and they go out and all these things. So pause for a moment. I want to invite you to just pause for a short moment. Does your lifestyle demonstrate or reveal this kind of fear of God? Just a reflective thought, okay? Does your lifestyle reveal this kind of fear of God, perhaps in, in our worship, um, in our household, uh, in our family relationships, or um, in our life group? What would the city look like, church, if we would be as a people who are marked with being preoccupied with walking in the ways of God. What would it look like? What would it look like to be so marked by a sober fear and reverence of God, so much so that we cannot help but be preoccupied with how He is calling us to live in this season and, and what the Spirit is saying to us, that we cannot help but, yes, and obey and, and faithfully walk in His way to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, as a group, as a community, not just as individuals, but, you know, moving together and growing and, and pursuing things of God together. What would it look like? I bet it can look so much more uh, than what we're seeing now. And, of course, with God's grace. And I have seen so many of you give up time, money, and making so much effort to just serve in different ways, whether it is like, you know, testimonies of people at your workplace or um, the, uh, our brothers uh, in the dorm or just all a whole bunch, right, or just neighbors even. And these are not small ways. These are, these are significant as a people of God. What would it look like to be mocked by a fear of God as a people? That's, that's something that we want to ponder on. And this passage goes on 
and I'm gonna maybe don't want to dwell too long on the remaining verses but there are some things that, that we can draw on as well uh, 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 for the rest of the passage now verse 16 says circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn now that's some clear words used right circumcise the foreskin of your heart what does that mean? And it's really, uh, you know, if you can relate and connect and bring to mind different verses that you've read in other parts of the Bible, it's a very Hebrew expression. Uh, um, and it carries, actually, although it's short, but so circumcise the foreskin of your heart and to be no longer stubborn, it carries the same connotation. Uh, I'll try and explain it in this way. So, so to circumcise the foreskin of your heart is such that so that we become more sensitive to Him, more sensitive to the words of God. Um, so, hence the use of the word circumcise, right? And to be no longer stubborn means means no not stiff-necked. Uh, means you are responsive. You are able to be responsive, not hard-hearted and not stiff-necked, right? So to be responsive is to then not harden your hearts, but be sensitive. So therefore, circumcised, be sensitive to God's words so that we can obey His word and follow in His ways, right? We go on to verse 17 to 19, where it says, um, right, check, where it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Last week we talked about being faithful exiles, and exile uh, is similar to the word sojourner, right, or foreigner, uh, or stranger. And here God is, is bringing it down to a very practical level what it looks like as God's people in terms of our relation to others, right? The emphasis here in verse 17, if you catch it, is that there is no God like our God. There is none. As uh, you can hear the echo of the Shema there, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God, God of all gods, Lord of lords. He is the greatest, the supreme. There is none second to Him. He is one. God is one. And He is a consuming fire. We've looked at that. He is the deliverer. He is the judge. And so not partial here or not taking a bribe uh, is it's linked to the idea of like God being the ultimate judge. Is, is he is impartial, right? He, is, he was not, uh, uh, he's not one to like play favorites. In fact, he has a soft spot for those who are vulnerable. And so to demonstrate justice to those who cannot fend for themselves or those who are marginalized or those who are vulnerable is something that's precious to God's heart. And this need not be on a big scale, and we know that. Although that also needs to happen. But it's our day-to-day, -day, like, you know, checking our prejudices, be careful what we post, putting in place habits of generosity, being eager to host, like we talked about um, last Sunday, um, offering to send snacks to people. Uh, in so many ways, or just, you know, cooking, uh, uh, maybe some porridge for a sick neighbor, things like that on a very practical level and yet so significant 
as disciples of God. Interestingly, Micah 6.8 presents the same requirement where it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. So our response from this passage that we read in Deuteronomy 10 is not only about you know, our reverence for Him in recognition of His covenantal faithfulness and therefore we respond uh, you know, wholeheartedly with single-hearted uh, uh, love and devotion. Not only that, but also our service to others that you know, as much as we love God, the other side of the same coin is also to love neighbor, right? So look at verse 20 to 22, then he goes on, uh, we're ending here, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. At this point, we pause for another moment with a similar question as before. Does our lifestyle demonstrate this kind of love for others in our witnessing and extending loving kindness to our neighbor? And when I pondered about that, then I felt led to also ask more specifically, can we in our life groups, in our life groups, and also through our life groups, can we be more intentional, more so in this season, in how we love and serve others? You know, um, Pastor Andre talked about uh, being family of God and also being a missional people. Can we be more intentional in our life groups, how we love and serve others? And sometimes, you know I, know, I know it's challenging. Sometimes we're just, it's just about, hey, are we even meeting, right, this week? Or are we even meeting? But I want to challenge you guys, especially for maybe some groups are more ready than others. But here, my heart in this, and, you know, wherever uh, stage of maybe readiness you are in hearing this is, can we be more intentional? I want to invite and challenge life groups to be more intentional in thinking through when we come together, how is our missional identity in loving God and loving others? How can we cultivate that more intentionally? How can we express that specifically? What is one habit we can do together? How can we spur each other on towards one same good deed together that we can do as one community? That's something that uh, I'll, I'll leave with you. But I think we've mentioned, so it's not just about stuff we do, right? But in recognizing that, recognizing who God is, and is also recognizing that out of our identity, who we are because of Him, then out comes this consequential desire uh, uh, to walk in His way and to love others, right? Now, last Sunday, I remember sharing this uh, quote from someone which says, Whatever dislocation, uncertainty, and disempowerment the church may be experiencing in the present may indeed be an act of God helping His people to experience anew the possibilities of covenantal faithfulness. And that really has been just stuck with me even the, the whole this past week again. You know, and it kept coming to mind. Uh, whatever that we are experiencing, 
that, that is God helping us experience anew the possibilities of His covenantal faithfulness. And that is significant. That's profound. What does that look like for us as a church? The people of God discovering what faithfulness looks like and how holiness is possible, even when surrounding culture fails to support and may even mistreat those who are committed to Christ. These words in Deuteronomy 10 calls us to again recognize God as God, you know, and to walk according to His love. God, this almighty God, God who is over all heaven and earth, because uh, the passage says, you know, all of heaven and earth belong to Him. God who has done all these great and mighty things. God who is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. It calls us to recognize God as who He is and to walk according to His love towards us, right? As people who share in covenantal relationship. And I think there's just one response that I want to invite us to, you know, move towards even as we close this time of the sermon. And, you know, if it speaks to you, I really want to ask that you respond and even go into the prayer room so that someone else can pray with you because there's strength and power in that. Amen. The invitation or the challenge is, uh, how is God inviting us to repent of our self-centeredness in the way we live our lives? I know that will maybe not quite seems like it's connected to what I was talking about. Uh, but I, and you know, as I thought about it, I felt like that is, that is the, the most the appropriate, simple, but challenging uh, response to what I felt he led me to share this morning, is to reflect on how we have been self-centered in so many ways. And whether it's regard, with regard to our worship or our witnessing, which is the two moments that we pause to ponder on just now, I think at the base level, uh, it is our self-centeredness that inhibits our worship and our witness more often than not. How is God challenging you right there as you listen, as He's challenging me, how is God challenging us to repent of our self-centeredness? And what that means is how we defer to what we, we think is, is more prudent or proper or um, wise or to our comfort level and all these things. Uh, and sometimes we may not even realize that it's our self-centeredness in, self in terms of our pride that uh, hinders our fear uh, of God or hinders in our worship towards Him, our posture. Or it's our self-centeredness that actually causes us to uh, not be as willing to go beyond the lines of comfort that we prefer to serve someone that God may be highlighting to us, right? And it really is our self-centeredness.
our lifestyle as disciples towards God and towards others. Jesus made it very simple when someone asked him. It's really to love God and love neighbor. And so I suppose this morning, um, that's the way that we will respond in terms of repenting of our self-centeredness, right? Um, as we've heard, what does God require of you? To fear Him, walk in His ways, love Him and serve Him. And so in our worship and in our witnessing, where we have been self-centered, I invite you to just take a minute right now um, in silence, but with your own words, if you can verbalize it so that you can hear yourself. Respond to God, um, to the question, how is God challenging you um, and inviting you to repent of how you've been self-centered in these ways. Mm. You know, even last Sunday when we talked about being sober for prayer uh, from the passage from First Peter chapter 4. Um, and like I said, I think some of those thoughts kind of lingered with me also as I prepared for today. Um, I hope you can kind of see how it connects and it relates, but um, I think it's, it's something to be taken seriously in terms of as we desire to listen to what God's Spirit is saying to us as a church, um, to really identify areas of repentance uh, in our lives where we need to reckon with God with. And so this morning, if you were one of them uh, who responded in terms of, you know, you felt God was inviting you to repent of a certain area where you've been self-centered, um, I want to ask that you lean in further, non-stop there after the service ends, but you know, join a prayer room and even journal into somewhere or talk to someone and uh, take seriously as a church, even if you may not have resp responded to the message today just now in repentance, but think about and ponder even as we end the message about uh, being a people who are repentant before God because of who He is and because we fear out of trust and love for who He is and who He's called us to be. Yeah. So let me pray to end the message. Yeah. Father, we give you thanks for your word. Um, Holy Spirit, especially we just thank you how you are drawing our hearts um, and, and helping us make space to just see areas in our lives that are not just um, not pleasing to you, 
uh, but areas in our lives where we have been um, self-centered, uh, where we have been kind of blind to our own self-centeredness even, and where we have uh, muted uh, a fear of God that you want us to cultivate, and a lack of repentance in your people even in this season. Uh, that as much as we desire for renewal and just, you know, uh, amazing things to come about in our worship and in our witness, uh, teach us to come uh, with repentance and a contrite heart. Teach us to recognize, uh, to make space for each other and ourselves, to reckon with you and just audit areas in our lives where we have allowed to uh, 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 you know, be stale or we've allowed to regress or we've allowed to become hardened and stubborn towards you and what you want, want us to do. And we pray that God, uh, you, you help us, uh, that our hearts be tender again in your presence, uh, uh, we, that we, in our study of your word and in our, our, our coming together in our life groups or in our prayer times, uh, in you know, our moments of worship, even this morning or in our private worship, that God, you tenderize our hearts and teach us to come before you with humility and with contriteness with brokenness and in repentance. And we ask, Lord, that you show us our self-centeredness so that we can turn towards you and, and ask that you cultivate a fear of you that helps us to walk in your way uh, and to love you with all our heart and with all our soul. And we pray this as a community. We pray for each other, even uh, from what we've heard. May you help us to meditate on uh, the words that you have deposited in our hearts from today. And as we worship towards the end of the service, continue to speak to us uh, in, our, in, in our prayer time in the room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>